0: Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. In this episode, we're talking with Bob Kramer, founder and strategic advisor of the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care, or NIC. Before we hear that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. We're looking to celebrate unique projects, including both new development and rehab, that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits that description and are looking to showcase it, visit shnawards.com in order to submit it. Earlier this year, Nick held an event in New York City meant to inspire new ideas on reaching the middle market of senior housing consumers – We caught up with Bob Kramer afterwards to chat about the middle market challenge in senior living and how the industry might be able to reach the millions of older adults who currently can't afford to move into a senior living community. I'm here with Bob Kramer. Bob, we just finished up a great Nick event here at the Yale Club in New York City. We are talking about the middle market, both problem and opportunity for the senior housing and care industry. Can you talk to me about the magnitude of what we are facing as an industry with regard to reaching a middle market consumer?
1: Absolutely, Tim. Thank you, and thanks for the question. Because one of our purposes as NIC in uh, hosting this today and in underwriting this study is to shine a light on this issue and this real opportunity, because it's an opportunity. The challenge is that the middle-income cohort of those 75 and over is going to almost double in size to over 14 million, 14.4 million by 2029. And that's really just the start of incredible growth. We're going to see the following 20 years with enormous growth, particularly then in the 85 plus cohort, the age at which people are most likely to need seniors housing with supportive care and services. And so as this group is growing exponentially, exponentially, at the same time, they, as we talked about this morning at this session, they're less likely to be married. They've had fewer children. Their adult children are less likely to live near them. And they've had less in savings. And they're less likely to have defined benefit pension plans, and instead, replaced by 401ks. All of that means that, and their care profile is that many of them, 60%, will have mobility limitations. Two-thirds will have three or more chronic conditions. And 20% will be high need, defined as three or more chronic conditions and a need for assistance with at least one activity of daily living. So if you look at that profile, going to almost double in size, this middle-income cohort, which, by the way, we define as they have too much in resources – financial resources to qualify for government support programs like Medicaid or, you know, housing subsidy programs. But they don't have enough in resources to afford most private pay options out there at today's pricing levels, at least for very long. So they're, we call them the forgotten middle. They're stuck in this gap where too much to qualify for government support, not enough to afford the options out there They're they're expected to pay for. So you take that and this group is going to have less in savings, less likely to have defined benefit pension plans, fewer kids to be caregivers who are less likely to live near them, less likely to be even married, and all of these conditions of mobility limitations and so forth. So you have far greater demand for paid caregiving services, and at the same time, the issue of pricing. Can they access these services? And so what we saw in the study is that even with using all of their resources, including home equity, more than half would not be able to afford seniors housing if it continues to be priced the way it is today in 2029. And now that means, yeah, 46 percent could. So that's significant. But this 54 percent we think is a conservative number because we used average asking rents for assisted living, which actually include only a small amount of care. And so most people, when they move in, they have increasing care needs and their additional costs for that. We also only use five thousand in average out-of-pocket medical costs. But there's a lot of literature that would, and studies, that would say for people 85 plus who have mobility and, and limitations and so forth, their average out-of-pocket cost may be closer to 10000 So we have huge demand. So it's an enormous opportunity for the industry. But the challenge is they're not going to be able to afford today's product at today's pricing points. So that's why we held a policy summit several weeks ago to bring attention to the issue from the policy point of view. And today it was an investor summit to say how from an investor, a provider, a debt, and equity point of view can we address this?
0: And yeah, during this event today, I think there were a lot of interesting solutions that were presented. I know that you highlighted a few for the listeners at home who weren't watching the webcast and who weren't at this event Talk about some of the, the ways that were discussed today to help drive down costs in senior housing and care.
1: There were a lot of ideas discussed today. And as Beth Mace, our chief economist, has said, this is a little bit of time right now of throwing spaghetti up against the wall to see what sticks. Not all these ideas are going to work, some for financial reasons, some because the consumer won't like them. Some because there may be regulatory, legal issues, whatever. But there were a lot of interesting ideas. I think one area, one theme was We've been a little bit spoiled in the, in the senior living industry. And so we focused more on bells and whistles for a crowd that can afford. And therefore, is going to. it's both your investor and your customer. You're saying, you know, I provide assisted living, but look at these added bells and whistles. All of this is actually added to the cost and not driven efficiencies. I'd say one theme today was the importance of starting with the price point that the middle market customer can afford, and then figuring out in all of the different areas how can you design to that price point while not sacrificing your philosophical commitments to the kind of housing and care you're going to provide. So that means efficiency in development. It means efficiency in the operating model. It means efficiency in the capital structure, an issue about which there was a lot of discussion today, where right now you may have to refinance multiple times at each phase, and each time you're paying closing fees, legal fees, so on and so forth, all of which ultimately the property pays for. It's baked into the cost of the property. And, and then a last efficiency, which is the efficiency in terms of the regulatory situation. Do the regulations support enabling you to be able to serve this income uh, group or do? do they actually frustrate that by driving up costs unnecessarily? So I think that was one area. A second area we discussed was, I think there seemed to be some consensus that the debt would be there. So the debt would follow, but where would the equity come from? And would the traditional real estate investors that have quite literally financed and driven from an equity point of view, so much of the growth of the seniors' housing care sector, are they liable to be the ones who would, for instance, accept lower rates of return? Uh, Yes, a consistent, non-volatile rate of return, but that's going to be in the single figures, not the double digits. Or are they going to be unlikely to be the ones to lead the way, to be willing to do that? So there was discussion about where... The debt would come, but where will the equity come from for the development or the repositioning of an older property? And there were some intriguing ideas there. One was that increasingly insurance providers, particularly that are taking managed care risk, for instance, through Medicare Advantage plans, uh, big plans that you see through Kaiser Permanente, United, Humanus, and Teens, so forth, whether or not they themselves would get into investing in even buying senior housing platforms to then wrap a Medicare Advantage plan around where they could then basically better manage the overall healthcare spend for this middle market population that are their plan members. So also the idea was that over time, you might almost have a coupon investor, sort of a retail investor, that if you could show a steady rate of return of even 5%, There are some investors where that would be attractive to get a steady, almost guaranteed 5% rate of return. But that's not where you'd start. Somebody has to come in first with the equity to sort of demonstrate the power of this market, that you'd fill up faster, the depth of this market, that there's just so much demand, especially as we look to 2029 and beyond. So I think that those were... I think this consensus was there's a huge opportunity, but the way in which deals are structured now, the types of equity that now invests in the sector and the lack of at times true efficiency to design to a price point and to think about that just rigorously in terms of design and construction and staffing and without, and I think other theme today was you got to do this without sacrificing care. Because ultimately, that's self-defeating. You're not providing the consumer uh, what they need. So I think there were a number of other ideas. There was also the sense that this may be easier to do with the current boomers, who are the oldest in their 73. So more of a housing product, which has got a lot of technology in it, but where you're not directly providing care. Since it was a consensus that the labor piece... Of the operating model, particularly when you're providing care, that is the, one of the toughest challenges in how you're going to meet the middle market. But as a housing piece, we may see a product where there's a lot of interest from multifamily developers, hospitality, spa, folks in the spa and wellness industry coming in to serve people 65 to 85. But the greater challenge would probably be serving people 85 and above who really need on-site assistance, either because of ADL needs, because of cognitive impairment, and so forth. So there was also some discussion of small house models and ideas of modular and prefab, and would that be a way to reduce costs? A little bit of discussion, not much, uh, around efficiencies, though, with the small house model. Can you scale that sufficiently? But I think that amongst all of this, too, there was the understanding that the industry has to get back to selling lifestyle, whether it's got the care piece or not. It's ultimately the customer of tomorrow really is wanting to move here because they want to move here, not just because they have to. And that as we've seen the acuity level rise in senior housing and care communities, increasingly many of the communities have been known uh, just simply as the place you went when you had to have the care, not a place you desired to move to. So there was also discussion about how the changing, the boomer consumer is going to change that because they don't want seniors housing. That's their parents' notion of retirement, and that's their parents' notion of of, of housing and care.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All of that makes a lot of sense. I know that you've also talked about things like how coordinated care and Medicare Advantage can help drive down costs for residents. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what that might look like on the community level.
1: Yes, I think one of the things that's so surprising in one sense is if you think even five years ago, as Arnie Whitman famously said at one of our conferences, in the past, Post Acute has been at the child's table, the kid's table in healthcare discussions. And to which I then followed up and said, that's right, and seniors housing has never been in the table, at the table. We've never been seen as relevant to the healthcare delivery system. That's all now changing, with the increasing understanding that health is not just health care, but actually quality of your medical care is only a small piece of determining your health outcomes. And with that, the focus on social determinants of health. And in particular, the focus on issues not only about around diet and exercise and cognitive stimulation, but also around social engagement. As I commented this morning, some people would claim that social isolation will become the chronic condition of and the social determinant, therefore, of the 21st century. And... I was once with a United executive who said to me, I'd give anything to have my eyes on our plan members 24-7. And my response was, I know a lot of senior housing providers who have their eyes on your plan members 24-7. You really should talk with them. So there's a huge opportunity there that with the movement of health care to go where the, and particularly for seniors, to where the senior lives, with the understanding of social determinants of health, that things beyond the quality of your medical care, your behavior, your environment and setting where you live have a huge impact, the majority impact in shaping your health outcomes. Suddenly we've gone in seniors housing from being irrelevant to suddenly being having the opportunity to be center stage to be the platform upon which, through which care is coordinated and clinical and care management of chronic conditions is, is carried out, while at the same time delivering a lifestyle product that's about quality of life, not just quality of care. We're in the very early innings of that, but it's why we now see interest in this study and in seniors' housing from major providers of managed care. They have health care risk for lives. And so they're interested in, you know, would they invest in, would they partner with, would they even purchase a senior living platform where they would wrap a managed care product around a senior's housing community for middle income, where some of the health care costs, the care costs, would actually be covered through the Medicare Advantage plan, but where they're ultimately saving money on their health care costs, because of the fact they're keeping people out of the hospital and out of institutional care such as a skilled nursing setting. So, this is really changing the whole ball game. We're at the very early innings of this. You see this you see Kaiser and Centene both sort of experimenting with investing in housing for the low income. You see things like Sunrise and Juniper now now as part as as leading the effort on the perennial consortium where seniors housing and care providers are themselves taking a risk in their own MA plan. So these are going to be fascinating developments because if for instance you might invest so to speak, in the real estate and accept a much lower rate of return if this was a way, if your primary risk and the primary way you made money was off keeping people healthier longer and taking the risk on their health care dollar spend. So that's, you know, whether or not we'll see managed care plans become investors in senior housing communities or even purchase a platform, whether that'll be a way to defray some of the care costs through as CMS is now allowing the reimbursement by Medicare Advantage plans for non-medical services and support. So it's kind of like stay tuned. We're at the very beginning of this. I go back to Beth's analogy, which I like. You know, we're going to see a lot of ideas. Not all of them are going to work. Many of them won't. We don't know yet, so to speak, what will stick. I think today was really good for having a candid discussion of some of the challenges, the size of the opportunity, and what are the components that are going to have to be part of any solution. One thing I certainly understand and see with boomers, anytime somebody says I've got it and I've got the one-size-fits-all solution for boomers, boomers by definition will reject it because it'll be a let a thousand flowers bloom for them.
0: You know, I think another part of the discussion today, as you said, there needs to be more collaboration between the public and the private sectors. You know, that seems like that's going to be the way forward. I'm curious, so obviously the D.C. event was held more to get policymakers on board with the idea. What's the reaction been like among those policymakers? Do they seem to have the same kind of urgency to meet this head-on as this industry does? I'm not sure
1: we're there yet. I think where perhaps there's the greatest recognition, though, I would say, Tim, is state policymakers and at the federal level, CMS is very aware that if we don't address this issue for the middle market, it will create unsustainable financial burdens on our safety net programs like Medicaid. Medicaid is already projected to grow to huge levels as a percentage of a state budget. Well, if, as is the case now, if in 2029... Everyone in their 80s who needs long-term care that's in this middle-income cohort is told the only thing you can do if you don't have kids to provide free care for you is to spend down as fast as you can to qualify for Medicaid. That will literally break the back of Medicaid budgets in many states. It will create an unsustainable financial burden. So I think if we want to protect the safety net for the truly poor, we have got to come together, public and private sectors, because neither is going to solve this by themselves. For the public sector, the dollars aren't there to just simply say, let's make it all public benefit for everybody. But on the private sector, especially on the care piece, with labor being such a 60% or more of the operating costs, we're unlikely to be able to solve this without public sector support, at least in terms on the regulatory front. Because right now, on the regulatory front, the requirements for regulations with regard to staffing at times make it impossible to have the flexibility you're going to need in the future. They don't anticipate how will technology enable us to be more efficient with staffing. They don't anticipate what might be the role heavily used in other countries of unpaid caregivers, volunteer caregivers, church or faith-based group, family members, defraying the cost for their family by, in a sense, doing a required number of hours of volunteering within a community, or as they do in Japan, less frail elders helping out by taking care of more frail elders. All of those things in this country, both from a uh, litigation legal uh, risk point of view and from a regulatory point of view, would not work. Well, if we're going to actually be able to provide a care for middle-income seniors in the future, we're going to have to think more creatively about the labor issue. And 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 so this is an area where it's going to require public and private sector coordination and cooperation, where basically the private sector says, we want to serve this cohort. We found a way to have investors that will accept lower rates of return so we can have lower margins, so we can have lower price points, so on and so forth. But in return, you know, we're going to need more flexibility in the labor area. Or another thing might be, You might have a city or a metropolitan area with municipal bonds, and you agree, as the example was given this morning, by AEW, a person that oversees all of their commercial real estate portfolios, that, yeah, you might have an FAR ratio where you're basically allowed to have 100 units. But, in return for agreeing that twenty five percent of your units will serve this middle market, you're allowed to have one hundred and twenty five units then that hasn't that basically hasn't increased your land costs at all and so it's that but that again is an example of cooperation. you know the local municipality says this is a social good we need this we need housing with services for this population and you know if you agree. That you'll serve this population, then will allow you to have higher density number of units on this piece of land. So, yes, it's not. There's not going to be one answer, and there's also not going to be one sector that's going to solve this. It's going to have to be a joint effort. That's why we're NIC is not normally involved in doing things in the policy sphere. That's why we were so excited that Health Affairs agreed to not only publish the study but also host a policy briefing on this because they are well-known and well-regarded in the policy sphere. It's also why we're we're done this study now and want to bring attention to this issue now because this onslaught, really, we're a decade away from it. So we have some time, but that's not a lot of time. If you're going to try experimental models, see what works, see what doesn't, attract capital who then say, yeah, I get it, there's a really consistent rate of return here that I can get. It might not be high teens, low 20s, but I can get a, can get a good, consistent, non-volatile rate of return. And at the same time, it might be a, a social impact family office fund. It might be high net worth investors who, instead of investing in sustainability and climate change, want to invest in, you know, helping to provide uh, service-enriched housing for our nation's elders. And again, who are we talking about? It's, this is really workforce housing for elders. What we're talking about, this is not for the poor. This is basically for for people who are not poor, but right now their only option might be become poor to get that the services they need. So these are firefighters and first responders, teachers, trade union members, nurses, government workers. So that's that's who we're talking about. And right now, their only option in 2029 20, and beyond is going to be spend down as fast as you can to qualify for Medicaid unless you've got a spouse, kids who are willing and able to provide the care for you.
0: Well, Bob Kramer, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me.
1: Thanks, Tim. It's been great to have this discussion. I appreciate your helping us get the word out to put the focus on this enormous opportunity that's also a challenge to our sector.
0: That does it for this episode of Transform. Don't forget to check out the SHN Architecture and Design Awards at shnawards.com. Project submissions are open until October 31st. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News.